Open with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 21. And you may have noticed in your bulletin there are multiple sermon texts this morning, and so we will jump around a little bit. But I was just thinking that 11 years ago, I was a young, 21-year-old guy just getting back from Afghanistan. And I was pretty naive, and, and I was a young believer at the time. I had gotten saved shortly before that deployment to Afghanistan. And so when I came back, there was a new guy that had joined the church I was at. And he was also a young, single guy. He was in the, uh, the Air Force. And so the pastor connected us two. And so we got together, and we, we built a, a friendship. We had a lot in common. We were both from uh, out of town. We were both young, single uh, believers wanting to grow in the Lord. And so my friend Ben said to me, he said, hey, when I was at my church in Minnesota, we had a really good men's ministry. And he said, I, I think they have one here. Let's get involved. So I said, okay, let's do that. And so the men's ministry at this church was just a couple of guys, and they, they met on Sunday afternoons before the evening service. So I remember the first Sunday, I showed up, I think it was 4 o'clock, and I found the classroom where they were meeting, and it was all men probably 50 or older. And I felt a little out of place. And they welcomed me in. They, they asked my name, got to know me, all of these things, and built friendships with some of them that I still have to this day. But I'll never forget when they said, all right, let's pray. They all stood up. They all got in a circle and they all held hands. That creeped me out. That was weird. And then they just started to pray. And they prayed in a circle for an hour. And I was a young believer, just gotten home from Afghanistan. I was around guys that didn't care one thing about the Bible, about Jesus, about anything religious for the last seven months. And here I was now in a circle of men who were just praying for an hour straight. And I'll be honest, that first time I thought, nah, I'm probably never coming back. But I kept going back. And I kept going back. And until the day I left Gulfport, Mississippi to move to Louisville, Kentucky, I kept going back. And I want you all to know that that made a huge impact in my life, not only seeing older men and how they live out their faith, but also understanding the importance of prayer and the purpose of prayer. I remember over those few years that I was involved at that church and in that ministry, we prayed for men whose wives were, were experiencing cancer. We saw some victories. We saw some defeats. We saw all kinds of things. But what I learned so much over the course of that time was that prayer is essential in the life of a believer. And that's the reason that we do our 24 hours of prayer. is because prayer is essential in the life of a believer. And if we are going to be people who call ourselves Christians, who want to follow after Jesus, we have to be people who pray. And 24 hours of prayer that we just finished up is an awesome way to get involved with that. I wrote down just a few thoughts for um, the reason we do 24 hours of prayer. 
One is that I think it's really important for us to understand that as a church, we need to be a praying church. If we're just people that show up on Sunday morning and we're like consumers, we just want to know what what the church can do for us. Can the music make me feel good? Does the preaching make me feel like I can attack another week? Or are we here because we understand God has sent his son to die for our sins? That we need him more than we need anything else. I hope we understand that by coming to God in prayer, we are recognizing that we as a church, every last one of us, we need God. We need to be a praying church. Also, I think it helps us understand the importance of praying as an individual. And I think from the perspective of praying for a whole hour or signing up for a whole hour of prayer, that's probably something that not many of us do throughout the week on a regular basis. I can be honest with you and tell you, as, as a, a husband and as a father of two small children, there's not often that I get to sit down for an hour un, undistracted and just pray. So when we do 24 hours of prayer, and I have a chance to come and to be here in a quiet church, whether there's some people with me or not, it is really good to be alone, in the quiet, to open my Bible, and to pray. And I really hope that as we sign up for our slots every time, every February and every August when we do our 24 hours of prayer, I really hope that you are taking advantage of that time, taking advantage of being able to come here, pray with some friends, maybe pray with some people that you don't normally pray with, and learn how to just sit down and to pray about so many different things that, we ob- that often don't come to mind. That's why we, we put together the prayer guide for you, to help you think about. That's why we have the, the directory, so you can look at people's pictures, perhaps people that you sit by or people that sit on the opposite side and you never talk to, so you can see their picture and you can pray for them by name. So this morning, I want us to talk about prayer, and I want to encourage you with two things that are happening when we pray. Two things that are happening when we pray, and we'll see those from John's gospel, but before we get there, I have a qualifier. Because if those two things are going to happen when we pray, there is a qualifier that must be present. Look with me at Matthew chapter 21, we'll begin in verse 18. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When his disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? Jesus answered them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, But even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. The qualifier for our prayer is faith. I hope you know this. I hope you understand this. The context in which Jesus curses this fig tree Right before this, he was at the temple. And perhaps you are familiar with the story of Jesus turning over the tables in the temple. Jesus is angry. And he says 
You have made my father's house of prayer for the nations into a den of robbers. Clearly, the temple was not at all about worshiping God. It was about patting their pockets. And Jesus is angry about it. He goes into the temple, he turns over tables, and he says, this is not right. This is not what the temple was intended for. It's wrong. Then we have this episode with the fig tree, and then right after, look at verse 23. And when he returned to the temple. So he's at the temple, we have the story about the fig tree, and then he returns to the temple. So what Jesus is teaching us with this story about the cursing of the fig tree is this is in relation to the temple and the things that are happening in the temple. He sees this fig tree and he's hungry. And so he thinks, I'll go get some fruit off the fig tree. He notices that there is no no fruit, but only leaves. We are about to come into spring. Plants are gonna start to to sprout leaves. They're gonna start to look like there's life again. So this plant has leaves on it. It looks like a healthy plant, but there is no fruit. And when he sees that, he says, may no fruit ever come from you again. And at once the fig tree withered. You see, what's happening here is that Jesus is wanting to teach his disciples that religion that does not produce fruit is dead. It may look lively, it may have leaves, it may have the appearance of something good, but it is devoid of all things spiritual. I hope you know that about our church, about any church, about any religion. We can do a lot of things that look good on the outside. I think you know that we are very involved at at Fairdale High School We have sports teams in our basement all year long and we are feeding them meal after meal after meal. And that's great. But know this, if we are doing all of that apart from faith in God, it means nothing. There's really no lasting value. Y'all, if you come here every Sunday morning and every Sunday night and every Wednesday night and every other time that the door is open and you are serving with all the energy that you have but you don't have faith, That's not pleasing to God. Jesus is saying, look at the temple. It may have looked like it was thriving. It may have looked like it was lively and bustling and so much is happening. There's so much worship to God, but Jesus says there was no fruit. And where there is no fruit, there is no real pleasing of God. That's true for our individual lives as well. We can do a lot of things to try and serve God But if it's done apart from faith, it is not pleasing to God. If we come for our hour of prayer, maybe you signed up for two different time slots. If you come and you spend an entire hour praying through the prayer sheet, praying through the the directory, but you have no true faith, it's not pleasing to God. He's not impressed by you giving up two hours of your day to pray to him. Y'all, everything we do as religious people, everything we do in, in every stage of life has to come from faith. Josh says that. Last week, Josh quoted Hebrews eleven six, which says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Do you believe that? Do you know that? Do you remind yourself of that? Y'all, the same is true when we pray. 
I'm going to show you from, from John's gospel two awesome things that are happening when we pray. But if we are praying apart from faith, meaning if we're not believing on Jesus, if we are not trusting in him, these two things are not happening. Faith is essential. That's my qualifier. Now turn over with me to John chapter 16. And in John chapter 16, Jesus is talking with his disciples. He's teaching them many things. And he begins in verse 16 talking to them about how their sorrow is going to turn into joy. You see, Jesus knows that he is getting close to the point where he is going to die on the cross. And he even explains that to them. We'll start in verse 16. He says, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So Jesus said to them, is this what you were asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman gives birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you will have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Verse 23. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Jesus is teaching his disciples that he is about to go and die on the cross. But he says, a little while, you will have sorrow. But after that, your sorrow will turn to joy. See, Jesus knows that he's going to go, he's going to be killed on the cross, but he's not going to stay dead. He's not going to remain in the grave. He is going to have victory over death. He's going to be raised from the grave and live for all of eternity. And then he says, in verse 23, this is so fascinating. He says, in that day, you will ask nothing of me. Now remember, Jesus is having an intimate conversation with his disciples. Undoubtedly, the disciples have asked him countless things. Jesus, can you do this for us? Jesus, can you do that for us? Jesus, can you help us with this? Jesus, can you teach us about this? They have asked him a lot of things. He says, in that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. So Jesus is now teaching them that there's something that's going to change after I die and raise from the dead. You will no longer ask me for anything. You will ask, for, you will ask from the Father through me, in my name. In case you ever wonder why a lot of people say, in Jesus' name we pray, it's passages like this. Jesus says, you ask the Father in my name. That's why every time you hear me pray, I will say, in Jesus' name we pray. 
We are praying through Jesus to the Father. So Jesus is saying, right now, you ask me of things. He says, soon, you won't ask me anything. You'll ask the Father, but you'll ask through me. He says, and whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Verse 24, until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Three-letter word in, in there that has a lot of meaning. Joy. Yesterday, we had a birthday party here in the basement for both of our children, for Graham, who turned three on the 8th of February, and for Charlie Joy, who turned one on Friday. And the reason that we named her Charlie Joy is because, one, we like the name Joy, but two, we realized after having Graham that children bring so much joy into our lives. We had no idea. We were excited about having kids, but it wasn't until we experienced it, until we knew what it was like to to have a child who was dependent on us, that we got to see grow up and experience new things, that that we we started to begin understanding how much joy children bring. Now, they can be annoying at times, but I promise you, all of the hard times are blocked out by all of the joy that they bring to our life. And Charlie Joy has personified that so much. She's such a happy, joyful baby. We are reminded of how much joy her and Graham bring to our lives. And if I were to ask for all of us to raise our hand this morning, I know everyone would when I ask the question, do you want to experience joy? Maley does. <laughs> Everybody does. When we think about life as a whole, we want life to go well. We want to experience joy. We love the happy times. I told you all at the beginning that I was in the military. And when it, t- when it came time to get out, I was ready to get out. It just was not for me. I loved serving. I was happy that I did. But there was so much that I hated. I just didn't want to do it anymore. But now, now that I'm almost 10 years separated from my time in the, in the Navy, I don't remember what was terrible about it. I don't remember what was off. I don't remember what I hated but I remember all the fun stuff. I remember all the deployments. I remember all the people. See, we we don't like to dwell on the negative. We like to think about the positive. We like to think about all of the good things. Yo, what Jesus is teaching his disciples here is that when we ask of things from the Father through the Son, it brings us joy. He says, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So, natural question is, how does asking of things and receiving things bring joy? Turn back to chapter 15. And in chapter 15, Jesus teaches about the true uh, vine. He says, I am the true vine. I want you to look down at verse 5 and following. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. 
Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now, first, did you notice all the fruit talk? Remember the fig tree at the beginning? Lacking fruit was not pleasing to God. Okay, again, he's saying, prove to be my disciples. He's talking about the presence of fruit. If there is no fruit, you're not my disciple. Verse verse seven. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Now, verses 10 and 11, listen carefully. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Verses 10 and 11 make it very clear that Jesus is saying his joy that's in him comes from obedience to the Father. Look at verse 10 again. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And then again in verse 11, he says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you. Jesus is saying the joy that I have, I want that to be in you. I want you to experience the joy that I have from obeying my Father's commandments. says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love the same way that I abide in the Father's love by keeping his commandments. You see, Jesus wants us to know that joy comes from obedience to him. Y'all, we all are looking for joy. All of us want to experience joy. You can't argue with me on that. You know it's true. The reality is we are looking for joy in all the wrong places. I've heard people say that to be a Christian, there's just too many rules, just too many things that I can't do or too many many weights that are put on my shoulders to be a Christian. It's too hard to be a Christian. It doesn't sound fun. Y'all, Jesus teaches that true joy comes as a result of obeying him. Have you thought about it that way? Have you ever thought, you know, maybe if I just obey, things will go better? As a parent of a three-year-old, we have learned that life just seems to be more enjoyable when Graham obeys When he's defiant, when he doesn't want to do what we tell him to do, that's when things are frustrating. We want to throw stuff. We want to get angry. 
Y'all, it's so true that when Graham obeys what we have asked him to do, everybody's happier. He's happier. We are happier. Y'all, it's true with God as well. God loves it when his children obey him. Think about how much happier you are when you obey him. That's where joy comes from. Now look back at at, uh, chapter 16. He says, until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So again, how does joy come about by asking and receiving? Well, the call to worship, or or the, the New Testament reading rather, was the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord's Prayer. This is Jesus teaching his disciples to pray. And what is one of the things that he says? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One of the things that Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray is that not what I want be done, but Lord, what you want be done. Lord, help us pray more often, not for our own agendas to advance, but for yours. Are you praying that way? Are you praying that God would reveal sin in your life? Are you praying that God would help you to repent of that sin and to turn away? Y'all, the more that we pray, the more that we ask God to help us become more godly people, he is going to answer that prayer. That is a prayer that he wants to answer. He wants you to pray, and when he answers that prayer, and when he does it, it's gonna bring about joy in our hearts, joy in our lives. Y'all, one of the things that happens when Christians pray is that God is using our prayers to fill our own hearts with joy. Y'all, I know that you want to experience joy. There's probably people sitting here this morning that have tried to put everything together to make it look like everything is great, but deep down inside, everything is a mess. Life is not going how we hoped it would. Y'all, the answer is not to try and find joy in, in anything else. The answer is to search for joy in obedience to Christ. What has Jesus called us to do? Ask the Father through the Son, to help you do it, and he will. Y'all, it will result in joy in your heart that you won't be able to contain. One of the things that's happening when we pray is that God is filling us with joy. Now, look back at chapter 14. The second thing that's happening when we pray God is being glorified. God is being glorified when we pray. Look with me at verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, there's a lot happening in this passage. This is really interesting. 
In verse 12, he says something that probably confuses a lot of us. It confused me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, okay, we understand that part, will also do the works that I do. Now think about this. From the the perspective of the disciples, they've seen Jesus do some incredible things. Just back in chapter 11, he raises Lazarus from the dead. Okay, he feeds the 5,000. He raises other people from the dead. He heals people of their diseases. Jesus has done some amazing things, and now Jesus says, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. I don't know about you, but I read that and I think, what? You sure? But that's not all he says. And greater works than these will he do. How is that even possible? Look at the next word. He says, because I am going to the Father. All right, so now he's saying, those who believe in me, you will do the works that I do, and you'll do even greater works. And we ask, how is that going to happen? And he says, because... I am going to the Father. See, just like in chapter 16 where Jesus is teaching that things are gonna change, the way that you know life now as disciples walking with me among the earth, that's gonna change when I die and am raised from the dead. Things are gonna be different. You're no longer gonna ask me for anything. You're gonna ask the Father in my name. And so now, again, he says, if you believe in me, you're gonna do great works because I'm going to the Father. You see, Jesus going to the Father changes things. Things are not going to be the same from before he dies to after he dies. Now look at verse 13. He says, whatever you ask in my name, again, there's another one of those references for why we say in Jesus' name we pray. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Here's the beauty about God answering our prayers. It's not us doing any of the answering. It's Jesus doing the answering through us. You notice that? He says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Jesus talking about himself. He says, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. When we go to God and ask him for things, one of the things he loves to do is to answer our prayers because we know that we are not capable of answering them. That's why we pray them. When we go to God for things, it's because we realize we have no capability of changing the situation. We need the help of someone else. That's why you go to anyone and ask for anything because you realize you don't have the capability. Gordon's not here this morning, but a couple weeks ago, I had opened up a wall because I knew I had a pipe broken in there I had to fix, and I quickly realized this is not going to end well unless I get someone to help me. And I'm stubborn, so Samantha said, call someone. And I did, and Gordon happily came over. He helped me fix it, and I realized helpless. apart By myself, I'm helpless. I don't know. I don't know how to fix this. Gordon did. Happily helped me. 
So thankful. Y'all, when we go to God in prayer, it's because we realize we are helpless. We don't know how to resolve the situation. We don't know how to fix the problem that's wrong, but he does. Listen to these, these verses. You don't need to turn here, but Philippians 4, 6 says, don't be anxious about everything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. God is telling us, or Paul through, or God through Paul is telling us that when we are anxious, bring it to God. Listen to 1 Peter 5, 7. It says to cast all your anxieties on him. I don't know about you, but when I'm working and I get like 20 emails in one hour all asking for something and they all need it right away, and that's stressful for me. And I'm sure if you've experienced that, that's stressful for you. Think about the God of the universe. Think about just all the people in here. If, if all of us pray for one thing at the same time, that would be pretty overwhelming for one of us to try and answer, wouldn't it? You know, that's not too much for God to handle. God is not gonna be overwhelmed if all of his children come to him at one time. God is gonna be so pleased that his children are relying on him, that they are needing him. Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. God loves to answer our prayers in such a way that it glorifies himself. That is what God is all about. God is about his glory. And as his people humble themselves and pray to him, he is glorifying himself by answering our prayers. Think about this. A couple weeks ago, we, we uh, started the pastoral prayer, and the first thing we prayed for was Marcus and Rachel Lehman, who have been sent out from our church. They are raising money so that they can go overseas and translate the Bible. They have had issues with funding. They are trying their absolute hardest to get to the position where they're 100% funded so they can get overseas and start translating the Bible. But it just hasn't happened. And they're waiting, and they're hoping, and they're praying. And then they sent out an email, and they said, please, 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 would you join us in praying that God would do this? And they included the verse, Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do far more than all that we could ever ask or think. Y'all, God loves when his people come to him in prayer. Because when he answers those prayers, he's glorifying himself. He's showing how mighty and powerful he is and how weak and frail we are. When we pray, God is filling our hearts with joy. When we pray, God is glorifying himself. Those are two amazing reasons why we should be a people who fall on our knees every single day and pray to him. That should be a reason why people in our church should be calling for a 24 hours of prayer every month. Forget every six months. Let's do it every month. We need him. And the more that we pray, God is going to be filling our hearts with joy 
and he's going to be glorifying himself. I know you all want that. If you have genuine faith, you want those things. You want joy, and you want God to glorify himself. What more reason do we need to get on our knees and to pray to God? See, that group of guys that I met with back in the day, they understood that. They understood that more than anything else that we could do when we meet as as a group of men, we need to pray. We need God. We can't do it on our own. And I want our church to feel that way too. Y'all, we can continue with a great relationship at the high school. We can continue doing things for the community. But more than any of that, we need to pray. We need God to help us. And he has promised that if we call out to him in the name of Jesus, he will do it. Pray. God, we thank you for these promises in the Gospel of John. We thank you that you have promised us that anything we ask in your name, you will do. And God, we know that that doesn't mean that if we pray for a million dollars, you'll do it. But it it does mean that whatever we pray for that's going to bring us joy and you glory, you will do it. God, we thank you for these promises. May we hold closely to them. And God, would you make our church a church that prays, a church that recognizes our need for you, and we rely on you in prayer. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.